fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Scary Tales. And we have a part two for you today. We do. So if you haven't listened to Alice in Wonderland part one, you're going to... Well, yeah, I think they could kind of stand alone, but... They, they could be, because last week we covered more of, like, the history behind the author and the book versus the movie, like, mm-hmm. main plot events. Today we're going to cover more of history behind certain characters. Themes. Themes. So it, they are split, but we do recommend you go back and listen to part one. Mm-hmm. I will say, in last week's episode, we were talking about how he's a mathematician and how that doesn't really play into the story, but boy... It plays into it today in ways I don't understand. Yeah, neither of us are math people, mm-hmm. so we're going to do our best. We'll finally get into the the um, theory that he was on drugs, mm-hmm. all, all the things. We'll talk more about the tea party, mm-hmm. which is just perfect for our snack break. It we're is. super excited about our snack break today. Yep, and then we do have a, a new true crime for we you. We do, which is, we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. We'll, first... History, story behind the story, snack break, then we'll do our true crime. I'm ready. Okay. So let's just start with Alice, and I'm going to probably get you to jump in and help me with some of these people. I would love to. And remember, we we just personally have a theory that Lacey is named after Alice. Mm-hmm. So just going to... You don't need any explanation. Just... You can go back and listen to part one if you want the full explanation, mm-hmm. but that's what we think. Rearrange the letters, you get Lacey. I also found these pictures the other day of one... Because, you know, I go to Disney World quite frequently and there's a, a photo of me just straight up shooting the breeze with Alice in Disney World uh-huh she's like talking to me and I'm just like standing there just like resting on my hip just I love like, that hey girl what's up also I, I um we need to post that photo on Instagram yes but also next time I see her I bet she doesn't know the history behind all of this oh, because no. so I'm gonna ask her questions and try and throw her off can you record that? Can we do a, we'll do a, a vlog yes. for the podcast to go along I'm, I'm going to like have a microphone, like one of those tiny ones that you see on TikTok and be like, so what do you think about Alice. Lewis Carroll um, taking naked photos of young girls? And she's just like, well, it's time She'll to go now. See if she stays in character. Yeah. That's what I've seen people try to get them out of character, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Also, you have a cat here on your forehead. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So Alice. Back to Alice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, the Disney Alice was, we've talked about, was inspired by a girl named Alice Little. They looked nothing alike. Nope. The Disney Alice is blonde hair, blue eyes. The Alice Little was, she had like this cute short brown hair. Mm -hmm. Dark eyes. Dark eyes. She had the, um, classic like bowl cut bangs. Yeah, she was really cute. She was cute. And I, I do think too, the Disney Alice I don't really fully understand. I don't see the Disney Alice as a certain age. Do you? I see her as a little girl. She's young, but like, I I think the original Alice was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. 
they did share the same birthday. So the the fictional Alice shared the same birthday as the real Alice, which was May 4th. We love a May birthday. Another, a third similarity or difference here, that there's an acrostic poem at the very end of Through the Looking Glass, which was the second book. Mm -hmm. And if you read it down, so an acrostic poem, you read down in the first letter of the line spells something. If you take that first letter of each line, it spells out Little's full name, which was Alice Pleasance Little. Pleasance. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not pleasant. pleasant. No, Pleasance. So uh, just he, a couple more little like nuggets for you there. And only Alice. people that would have known the the connection would have gotten that. Yeah. So it's little bitty hidden Easter little, eggs. Little hidden Easter eggs for you. Mm-hmm. We talked more about Alice in the last one and the, and the real character behind this, or the real person behind the character. So just a little quick recap of Alice there since she is our main focus. Other characters, though, that uh, had interesting inspirations. The Cheshire Cat is probably one of the most, like, memorable. Mm-hmm, well-known. One of the most well-known. The The phrase grinning like a Cheshire Cat was very popular in this time period, even before Alice in Wonderland was written. So it's not like Alice in Wonderland made that saying or image popular. That was a a common phrase. Mm -hmm. It was connected to a place. So Cheshire, England was a place and it was known for milk and cheese products, which sounds delicious. Could have done that as a snack break. Mm -hmm. And the saying was that they were good enough to make any cat grin really big. Mm. So give your cat some milk and cheese. It makes it smile real big. But there's lots of cats in Cheshire. So I guess I guess if you we could test this out with your cats, give milk and cheese, see how Mm -hmm. see how big they grin. So I guess if a person was super happy, too, you know, you might be grinning like a Cheshire cat. Mm -hmm. The Cheshire cat was not just known for his grin, though. He also was known to just kind of disappear. There was a time when a piece of cheese was made in Cheshire that shaped like a cat. And when you ate it, you would eat the cheese from the tail to the head. And then, so, which I always feel weird about eating products. Yeah, or products that are shaped like animals. Like, I'd rather not look like that type of animal. But, so you would eat this piece of cheese from the tail to the head. And so the very last thing that was left was the smile or the grin Mm -hmm. of the cat. And so that's what some people say is... Because he Why does that cat. in the movie. He yeah. slowly disappears from tail to head. And all and all that's left Just is the smile. The smile in the mm-hmm. end. Which is kind of an interesting, interesting inspiration behind that. Because Lewis Carroll was a mathematician, uh, he would have been like knowledgeable of catenary, mm-hmm. um, which is the curve of a horizontally suspended chain. When you look at it, it looks like the shape of a grinning cat. Mm-hmm. So... I did not know any of this before mm-hmm. uh, knowing that Lewis Carroll was a famous mathematician and knowing that there he, he probably dropped some math nuggets in there. We'll get into more math, math. facts, math facts later. The Cheshire cat, uh, on the other hand, is said to be inspired by Lewis Carroll's Oxford professor and mentor, Edward Bovary Pussy. <laughs> I knew you laughed at that. Uh, this could be why um, in the, I think in the book, not in the movie, Alice addresses the Cheshire cat as the Cheshire puss, which is supposed to be like a play on his last name. However, more likely other scholars are suggesting that the cat represents someone named Dean Stanley, who was a member of a prestigious Cheshire family. Um, and he was an Oxford clergyman who was skilled in 
pushing through ecclesiastical reform. So he was like a religious figure back then. He prided himself on seeing both sides of an argument, which this quality was kind of satirized in the Cheshire Cat in his character, especially his answer when Alice asks him which way to go. The cat responds, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. So some scholars are saying that it's more of this, not a food inspiration mm-hmm. or a it's inspired math by these inspiration, people. but it's more inspired by this person. Another explanation uh, of the cat is uh, relates to Charles Dodgson. Again, that's Lewis Carroll's real name to a hobby of his. Uh, he was one of England's greatest 19th century photographers, which he just jack of all trades, mm-hmm. mathematician, photographer, writer. Yes. And if you go back to last week's episode, we talked about him being a photographer. Yes. It's creepy. There's there's some questionable photographs that he took. But so he was supposed to be a really good photographer. Alice recalled watching him make the develop the plates or the photos in a dark room, which, you know, it's absolutely pitch black dark. Mm-hmm. It takes the the photo starts off like a Polaroid. You can't really see anything. Mm-hmm. It eventually the, the photo kind of slowly appears like the Cheshire cat, like the Cheshire cat. Alice was said to um, ask this was written in a memoir. What could be more thrilling than to see the negative gradually take shape? So some people think that maybe Dodgson, who was born in Cheshire, was kind of reminding Alice of that like thing that excited her, that mm-hmm. which the cat slowly disappears and reappears, which would have reminded her maybe of some of these photographs. Could let, have been. Me, let me say this. I took photography in high school, and they would just allow like a couple of us, like teenagers, back in the dark room. Do you think I had any idea what I was doing with those chemicals and Thanks. Oh yeah. I, no, we just acted no. like a bunch of fools back there. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure some nefarious activity also happened in some of these just dark mixing rooms. chemicals, you destroying know, other people's artwork while we were back there I'm unintentionally. Sure some, I'm sure some kids were canoodling in the dark room. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Again, I still like the uh the milk and cheese. Yeah. Another inspiration, there's just more, is that the Cheshire Cat could have come from just uh, Lewis Carroll's youth. When he was younger, he attended St. Peter's Church in Croft on Tees in Yorkshire, where um, his father was a rector. In church, uh, there was a stone, this church specifically had a stone carving of a cat. And from the pews, the cat appeared to be smiling. But when you stood up, the grin like seemingly disappeared. I don't know why a church would have that. <laughs> I can't think of any like biblical cats that would you would want to normally it's like stone carvings of angels, angels or cherubs I can't think of anything can't think of any cats mm. and then last but not least in terms of the Cheshire cat the tree because he is like sitting up in this big tree the tree is said to have been inspired um, by the garden that was behind Alice's home in Oxford yeah because it is a really big tree it's with a huge branches. yeah it's a huge mm-hmm. tree the cat's like up in the trees but it was, that was supposed to be something from Alice's I believe home. it. So those are some of the theories behind the Cheshire Cat, um, which is a very notable character, which probably only comes second to the Mad Hatter, mm-hmm. which um, you're going to have to help me out with the Mad Hatter because I think this relates a little bit to our true crime. We'll it give does. A little preview. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the Mad Hatter? I sure do. He's my second. I think the Cheshire Cat is my favorite, and then the Mad Hatter is my second And I favorite. think that's just because you love animals. Uh-huh. And I think within children's movies, animals always end up being, like, lovable mm-hmm. characters, even if they are little odd. Mm-hmm. On Disney+, Plus, my avatar is the Cheshire Cat. So just fun fact. The Mad Hatter Lewis Carroll actually never referred to him as the Mad Hatter, but just the Hatter. And then in Through the Looking Glass, which was the sequel, he is just Hatta. Hatta. What up, Hatta? Um, he like wasn't, that. and we discussed this last week, he wasn't in the first draft of the book, or, or the entire Tea Party was exempt from the first draft of the book. And he added this later, which great, good on him, because well, it's one of my favorite scenes. Well, from and the it's movie. one of the most famous scenes. So it's interesting to me that that wasn't even in like round one. Mm hmm. In the movie and the book, we so we kind of wonder why is the Hatter obsessed with time? And in the book, he sings a song called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat. Cause it makes me laugh every time he says, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat. How I wonder where you at or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in the book, he sings this to the Queen of Hearts. And the Queen tells him that he is killing the time which you know the tempo of the beat Mm -hmm. he's killing the song but he interprets this as like literally he's killing time itself so the hatter takes this literal literally that he has killed time and now he believes that time is stuck at 6 p.m which is it's it's tea time so he's just perpetually in this yeah eternal he's like dang and i killed it it's 6 p.m we're just gonna have a tea party forever now why is he crazy? Because this Mad Hatter idea is a is a common theme. I've heard of it outside of Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. too, the, a Mad Hatter. Well, back in the day, hat makers used mercury to cure their felt hats. Kind of, I guess, like how we use lead and paint and stuff. Yeah. This often led to mercury poisoning, which the symptoms include... Tell me this doesn't sound like the Mad Hatter. Nervousness, anxiety, irritability or mood changes, memory problems, impaired motor skills, and slurred speech. Because he kind of has a lisp in the yeah. movie. Oh, he, I, I really like this idea or this mm-hmm. inspiration. Yep. I think it's very it's, um, it's like not even a guess. It's like no, this is yeah, where he got the inspiration from. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's just fact. And Carol actually grew up in Stockport where they made hats. So he would have been really... He would have known about this Mad Hatter syndrome. I think there are even some people out there that think that Carol himself may have suffered from a little bit of Mad Hatter syndrome. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Because, you know, just in terms of the bizarreness of his story and there's other drug references in there that they think maybe Carol had a little war well, yeah, hat he, for a little too long. Well, I also wonder not only the people that were making the hats, but if you buy a hat that's been made with mercury. Yeah, I think I think that was part of it. Is like if you wore, which these were, this was just common dressing back mm-hmm. then. That if you wore one of these hats, I mean, same thing. If you paint a house that's got lead and you've got lead in your paint, that's going to affect you. If you also live in the house that's yeah. got for and you know you're experiencing that daily. Mm-hmm. Um, I for whatever reason got on this tangent of collecting Pyrex recently, like vintage Pyrex, yeah. and I didn't realize you have to test the really really old Pyrex for lead. So I got to do that. Yeah. But it's like, if anybody wants to send me some Pyrex, just go ahead and do it. The vintage kind. I got way into it. I know the different patterns, what year they were made. I love that. It's a weird flex. but Well, also, I guess if you are into like vintage Victorian England mm-hmm. hats, you also probably need to test, test for mercury. Get you, get you a mercury for testing mercury. kit. Probably from, off Amazon. I don't know. Probably. 
Mad Hatters that suffered from this illness were known to be sent to the West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum in West Yorkshire, where they were supervised by what was known as Lunatic Commissioners. Never heard of that before. I, what do you do for a living? I'm a lunatic commissioner. commissioner. Carol was actually admitted to an asylum at one point, which I did not realize. The patients at this asylum he was known to be have been admitted to were known to throw tea parties. <sighs> The circle I, I, of life. I have, yeah, I have nothing. This I kind of have chills. Yeah. Now I've always wondered this. The ten six, the, the ten the, slash six uh-huh, on the Mad Hatter's hat is actually the cost of the hat, which is ten shillings and a sixpence. Oh, so it was like a tag, mm-hmm. a label. Yep. Real life inspiration for the Mad Hatter. He could have been inspired by Theophilus Carter. He was an eccentric furniture maker near Oxford where Carol went to school, and he was coined the Mad Hatter for his wacky inventions, one of which was an alarm clock that would throw the person out of bed. I need that. Mm -hmm. I think they have, there's those little alarm clocks on wheels that run away Mm -hmm. from you, so you Mm -hmm. have to get up and chase it. But he was like, no, I'm just going to throw you straight out the bed. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by the the inspiration behind this because I, I just, I... It make that makes a lot all of that makes more sense to me mm-hmm. than a lot of the Cheshire Cat thing does because I think the Cheshire Cat was a lot of little things put together mm-hmm. and I think this one was something like super clear. Right. Other people or other characters from the story that had some inspiration, uh, the March Hare. At the time, "mad as a March Hare" was another popular phrase, just like grinning like a Cheshire Cat. Um, "Mad as a March Hare" was popular, and so this was because it was thought that March, the season March, was mating season for hares or rabbits, which caused them to be aggressive. So you've got this anger, aggression in an animal, and he's very, um, especially in the book, much more so. He is the very movie. rude in the yes. book. Yeah. And um, however, March hares are actually in this state for eight months out of the year, and not just one. Those female rabbits so well and it's just eight eight of the 12 months is just Mm -hmm. you're just super like aggressive Aggressive and yeah and if according to the book if you you're rude Mm -hmm. the book also explains that the hair is mad because it's may but he's he's a march hair hair, which i guess that makes sense with like the eight months versus Uh the so in the book and the movie that picture right there that that's not his hair that's supposed to be depicting straw and they put straw on his head because that apparently back then um was a symbolism for being mad straw on your hat mm-hmm. on your head mm-hmm. so that's not, not here in the disney movie the, that's the straw. Little, yeah he's got the big ears he looks he's like he has like a, little, a little patch of yellow uh-huh. it looks like blonde hair yeah and it's but he's also straw. Got dark, he's got those dark dark brown eyebrows mm-hmm. so. look at that uh you want to tell us about the other famous rabbit or hair i don't know the yeah. difference between a hair and a rabbit i'm sure somebody either. could tell us that but the other famous rabbit from the story uh the white rabbit which is the one she chases down the the rabbit hole he is also very obsessed with time which is interesting but the inspiration for the white rabbit could be alice little's father whose name was dean henry little and he was known for running late to services at christ church cathedral in oxford and apparently he had this the big the, old the pocket stop, watch the pocket watch yep. that he would always pull out and look at because mm-hmm. he was always running late so this is also interesting in the movie you can always hear the rabbit calling for marianne marianne mm-hmm. and i thought that was just like i don't know his wife or something but <laughs> It was actually a common term back then to describe servant girls. Yeah. So he's calling for his servant, which probably that'll get canceled at some point. But yeah, nevertheless, yeah, that's I always the did white wonder rabbit. who who Marianne was. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. 
another famous character. I think we've got uh, two more, and then we'll also just talk about some random inspirations. Mm-hmm. The Caterpillar, which is a questionable character, not as uh, probably one of the more confusing ones. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of a, symbolism to behind a child. Him. Yeah. And just, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember watching this with my parents when I was younger and me trying to be like, what is that? Like, what is he doing? Like, what's he smoking? What's he smoking? Yeah. yeah. My parents probably like, duh, mm-hmm. we don't know. This caterpillar, uh, he's blue. He was exactly three inches tall. I love that fact. I, he gets mad just, at Alice for saying that he's not. He's right. like, no, I'm exactly three Exactly inches. three inches. And he's, although he's kind of antagonistic in nature, so he kind of seems like a, a little bit of a bad guy. He is actually the first character that helps Alice and tells her what she needs to do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the other characters are more like misleading and confusing. And the caterpillar is actually helpful, which is also mm-hmm. confusing just because of the nature of who he is and what he's doing. But the caterpillar is supposed to have a lot of uh, different symbolism to him. One of them, and I, I think this would have been more of that subtle symbolism for the adults who are watching with mm-hmm. their kids was more of this sexual symbol Obviously, the caterpillar is both phallic in shape um, and could potentially represent that like coming of age type of character. Most children's stories have a coming of age kind of moment or here it's more symbolized as a character Mm -hmm. than a moment for Alice. Uh, He also could have been very symbolic of just change in general. So even something that's angry and negative which is his char- his kind of personality can eventually turn into something beautiful, kind of the whole caterpillar turning into a butterfly, mm-hmm. which that's the symbol I like. Yes. At the time that the book was written. Oh, I love this so much. <laughs> Who are you? Like emphasis on the you was a very popular phrase in England. And so anytime somebody walked into an, like a, a pub or an alehouse, they were greeted with, Who are you? See, I love that because I used to watch Cheers growing up. And, you know, every time Norm comes in the bar, they go, Norm. And I just imagine in England at this time, anybody that walked in, people were like, who, who are you? And, <laughs> like, everybody just gets pumped Because in the, in the movie, he continuously states, who are you? Yeah, he mm-hmm. keeps but asking that question repeatedly. If we go out somewhere soon, I want anybody to walk in the bar. I want to say, who are you? Like, no explanation. Just yeah, hit them with gonna, that. You're going to have a lot of weird looks. Mm-hmm. I do, And I do think, too, just that quote connected to like an ale house or a pub house back then also kind of plays into what the what the caterpillar is doing which he is um, depicted as smoking like this hookah type contraption mm-hmm. um, it's got the little jar and the long it's a hundred percent i mean yeah it's a hookah there's i mean <laughs> if you've seen the movie you know what it is uh alice uh he's smoking this hookah and he advises alice to eat from a mushroom which some people think that this is like hidden drug messages that Carol may have been on drugs. The hookah back then was a lot of time used for um, opium, mm-hmm. which was kind of the drug of choice back then. Uh, the mushrooms, I mean, Alice takes a bite and she's bigger, she's smaller. And, you know, a lot it's just of very trippy story. Yeah. A lot of drug induced states make things look unproportional. If Carol was on drugs. Okay. So that's one of the theories which I understand why, then then the Alice books would be just this series of rambling, disconnected, surrealist scenarios. I can't remember what, there's a genre for this. There, I was reading somewhere where they called this like a, there's like a certain name for that. A psychedelic drug trip? Yes, but it in 
less words. Oh, okay. But, but they're not. I know the more you look into them and that's why I like, I don't like Alice in Wonderland on the surface just because it's so bizarre that it, I like for things to make sense. But I do think the more you look into it, the more there are a lot of little details. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very intricate, very well thought out, clever. Yeah. And someone that was just high on drugs, I don't think could create a story like this. I, I just think, yeah, it would have been too much coincidence for all these things to, to just fall into place. I mean, he uses puns. There's a lot of logic hidden beneath the illogical. And I, through the looking glass is there's an entire scene set up where the story follows the moves of a chess game. Yeah. And you can't, that's not, that can't be, I mean, drug induced. I don't think so. Or or maybe some of this was inspired by like drug trips. And then like when he was sober, he put all the pieces Mm. together possibly, but I don't know. There, it hasn't, hasn't been any evidence that Carol even did any recreational drugs. So never mentioned in any of his diaries, Except for like one time when he mentioned he had a toothache and was prescribed opium. Yeah, and that but was so, common back then. Which yeah, and that was that was kind of like the pain the painkiller of mm-hmm. choice back then. To where I really feel like if he was known for using recreational drugs, there would be evidence of it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then the last character, the Queen of Hearts, she is someone who, I mean, on the surface, a lot of people think was inspired by just the Queen of England at the time. So Queen Victoria, I think that's like the the gut reaction a lot of mm-hmm. people have is the Queen inspired by the Queen. But there are other theories behind that. Dodgson admitted that the inspiration behind the Queen was, quote, concentrated essence of all governesses. So And I, I had to look up what a governess was. It's very English. A governess was a woman back then who was employed to teach and train and train the children in private households. You had to be kind of wealthy. It was almost like a nanny Mm -hmm. is what I'm picturing. But like more educated. It's like a live in teacher, babysitter, teacher, Mm -hmm. like housemaid. It's kind of like an all in one. Alice had an, a governess whose name was Mary Prickett, and she worked for the Liddell family from 1856 to 1870. I, I do. What? <laughs> Every single time I read it, in my mind, I say Liddell, and it's Liddell. Oh, I said Liddell again. Why That's, am I saying that? I do. Every time in my mind, and I have to fix it. My bad. I also think it's interesting that her name was Mary, and we talked earlier about how a common, like, freight or a common name Marianne. for the servant was Marianne, mm-hmm. and here her name's Mary. It doesn't say her middle name, but just thought that was interesting. And then we talked more about this in the last episode because his diary, he had some pages that were ripped out, which mm-hmm. I still, I, I tried to do like more like digging on that and could not find anything. You're like not going to no find one, it. They're gone. No one has any kind of information that from this missing, these missing pages from his diary. But because from, so from these missing pages, we know that he, that Dodgson may have attempted to court Mary Prickett, but failed. So maybe i don't know he tried to shoot his shot with alice mm-hmm. didn't work didn't work so he went for like, the let governess. me try your nanny didn't work i even um read a theory somewhere because there was that there was the big falling out with the family that was never explained mm-hmm. and so some people think that carol was getting too close to alice which i understand why they think that um this theory is that it was the the governess and then i even read one theory that it, that said that it may have been the mom Oh yeah, that she oh, supposedly that. like somewhere there had been record of her having feelings for one of her husband's colleagues. Oh, 
could have been all three also I, maybe he's just he was just you don't put all your eggs in one basket he was just trying his best mm-hmm. to find someone to enjoy life with but so that may that have, may have yeah. inspired him to write her in a in not so great light because yeah. she's a horrible character <laughs> yeah she is she's definitely the the villain of the story dodgson again lewis carroll wrote that the queen of hearts was the thorny kind so quote the thorny kind which i also find it interesting because doesn't she have a rose garden mm-hmm. yeah which was an allusion to the children's name for their governess, Mrs. Prickett, or they would shorten it to Mrs. Prick. Mm-hmm. So thorny, prick, roses. Right. I like that theory better than just the Queen of England. I think that's yeah. the, I think that's kind of the... I would, th- I would lean towards That's the stereotypical, that's... like, oh, queen, inspired by the queen. Mm-hmm. I think this one's more personal. Right. So there you have it. Those are some of the main characters, main inspirations behind them. We have some other random inspirations. Yeah. Do you want to share a couple of these? Yeah. I think you kind of touched on this one last week that in the movie, well, in the movie and the book, there is a dodo bird and he's leading this march around this rock while the waves are crashing on these sea animals and they're trying to get dry. But Charles Dot. I can't say his last name and you do such a good job. Dodgson. That extra G is just, who put that there? He had a stutter, and so he was known to say his name as Dodgson. So Dodo and Dodo Bird. That was he was supposedly the inspiration for that character. Mm-hmm. We also talked about this one last time that the names of the three little sisters uh, in the Dormouse's story, Elsie, Lacey, mm-hmm. there you are, mm-hmm. and Tilly, were references to the names of the three li- little mm-hmm. sisters. Which we talked about that more in the last episode, but yeah, those characters, super minor characters, but had some inspiration from real life people. Uh, Lewis Carroll supposedly suffered from this rare neurological disorder, which caused some strange hallucinations and would have, which would have affected the size of visual objects. Almost think as if like, you know, when you look in the rear view mirror and it says like objects may be bigger, mm-hmm. like larger or smaller than they appear, kind of like that. But just all the time. But just all the time. Yeah, it was supposed to be like he would have these intense migraines and it was this neurological disorder, which the whole idea of things being bigger or smaller than they actually are. Alice grows, she shrinks, she's in this room where everything's larger or smaller. This was like a big theme of the book and... This disease was first discovered by an English psychiatrist named John Todd in 1955 and was actually later named the Alice in Wonderland syndrome or Todd syndrome. But I like the Alice Alice in Wonderland Wonderland syndrome. So that was supposed to be part of the inspiration behind the, so maybe less of a drug induced hallucinations and more of like actual just neurological Mm -hmm. induced. Do you want to tell us more about some of these symptoms, science lady? So it includes altered perception, like we said. Uh, Some things look smaller than they are, which is known as microspia, whereas other things appear larger. So macrospia, who knows if I'm saying that right? Micro, macro, that makes sense. But most interestingly, there is also a weakened sense of the passage of time. Which has been a theme. Mm -hmm. The Mad Hatter especially is obsessed with time. The rabbit's obsessed with time. And like she said, these episodes are short-lived, often less than an hour, and may come up several times a day, unpredictably. So I imagine in today's time, if you had this, you would not be able to drive. Oh, yeah. But I have never met anyone 
that has this. It kind of sounds like vertigo also. Yeah. Like just dizziness. I don't like know if there's a visual perception. change in perception, but, you know, they get dizzy and stuff. But I've never heard of anyone suffering from Alice in Wonderland syndrome. If you Although, do, write yeah. to us. Let us know. We want to interview you. Or Todd. What was it? it? Was also called Todd syndrome, which I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like most professionals in the medical field are probably. Like, now what you have now is you Alice in Wonderland Alice, they syndrome. Now you've got Alice in Wonderland <laughs> syndrome, and here's what we prescribe. Yeah. That. In terms of math. Oh, here it comes. You talked about time, so we got to talk about math, and we're gonna do our best. I'm an English person. Lacey's a science person. I hate math. We're neither of us are math people, but math highly inspired a lot of the things. And again, in the book. which makes sense because we were kind of thrown off at first, you know, that he was this math professor and he wrote all this, did photography and this literature, which he apparently included a lot of math in here. So we're going to give it our best shot. So he was a contemporary math person and he, there was this new wave of math coming, coming out of like what the kids are learning these days. What's that yeah, called? I don't even know. You know, but it's, it's bonkers. They, they like, just like dream up the answer and it comes for you know what i'm saying what's yes, that called no, uh, english teacher oh okay well this kind of same phenomenon was happening back then where this more abstract math was coming about and he was not a fan of that no he did not so like this story and how absurd things are for instance when the mad hatter asked her why is a raven like a writing desk it's a play on how absurd he thought this new movement of abstract math was mm-hmm. and um and you can find that throughout the book just the absurdity of most things in the book but he favored just your good old Conser- straight forward algebra that's what algebra. i'm saying I, I just couldn't get into math in high school like when you're doing calculus you're like what who came up with this yeah when am i going to use this never never so if i can't get interested in something i just i don't you i'm not good at it i don't care you just don't even try never used it so, like the term algebra, the word hookah is also an Arabic word. Did you know this? I did not. I didn't either. I, well, I, I guess I could, I don't know. I could see hookah more than algebra. I didn't know that was Arabic. I don't know. See, I can see algebra because, like, um, what's the guy's name in Aladdin? What's his name? Anyways, I could see algebra. We'll cover that in the Aladdin episode. There was a man named Augustus de Morgan who was the first mathematician to lay out some rules for this symbolic math. And he called it, and this is Arabic, so, so good excited. luck pronouncing this, Alhabra e al Mokabala, which is. That, that sounded pretty good. Which is Arabic for restoration and reduction. So, i.e., the growing and shrinking of Alice after she ate all these mushrooms. Yeah. She, so, the, the rest, restoring her mm-hmm. to normal size, reducing her to smaller size mm-hmm. type of thing. All inspired by math, supposedly. Who knew? Another connection with this is when the calipi- caterpillar. The tel- caterpillar. Caterpillar. <laughs> Which you know about talk- them, caterpillars. We're talking about math in my brain. Calculus. My brain just all jumbled. <laughs> But the caterpillar tells Alice to keep her temper. And at the time, temper meant, quote, the proportion in which qualities are mingled. So a meaning that lives on today in phrases such as like, justice is tempered with mercy. Like that kind of like a mixture. Yeah. So the caterpillar is tempered with sugar. We did. We did temper our tea with sugar. So the caterpillar was actually telling Alice to keep her like to keep her body and to keep everything in proportion, no matter the size. So just because at one point her neck grows very, very long, like a serpent. And Mm -hmm. so he's trying to tell her to like, 
you can grow tem- tall, but don't, but keep it tempered. Yeah, temper everything. In proportion. Keep everything in proportion. <gasps> math. Math. Mm-hmm. Now, the oh. most math of all maths. Listen, this next part, I tried to get Chase to come do a guest appearance and explain this. His favorite movie is um, Interstellar. And nobody, no matter how many times I've tried to watch it, I just get lost. I don't understand the concepts of space, time, continuum, and all that. I can can appreciate it, but I don't Mm -hmm. understand it. Like, he just came in here one more time before we started this and explained it to us again. Just, like, all blasé. And we were like... He made it seem so simple. And I said, and that makes sense to you. And he said, well, yeah. And I was like, okay. He's so smart. I can't. I'm an idiot. Okay. So, I will will do my best and i'm sorry for all the math folks out there who are listening to this and they're just like "Mm, fire her it's horrible so the entire mad hatter's tea party is based off this math idea called a quaternion which a quaternion can be defined two ways and this quaternion was discovered by a man named william hamilton so put that in your back pocket but a quaternion and i don't even know if i'm saying that right is either one in mathematics a complex number system based on four terms so So, quarter four mm -hmm, four terms and or two more rarely defined as a set of four people or things and the tea party is a picture narrative depicting the problem of the missing fourth term which is time and which, which we talked about earlier because uh-huh. he thinks he killed time. So he Correct. thinks that that's gone. So without this fourth term, mm-hmm. time, everything is just an endless cycle. And so that's why in the movie you see them continuously moving around the, the table. table at the tea party. Because they don't have that fourth. Right. And even when Alice shows up and she would make the fourth ca- character because you have the Hatter, the March Hare, the Dormouse, and Alice, she's not an extra spatial unit like time so she can't fix this problem but there people say that there's a part in the movie where they're trying to stuff the dormouse into the teapot and that is because if they were to stuff him into the teapot that would leave two units mm-hmm. the, hitter, the mad hatter and the, the march hatter. hare yeah. and by doing so they would break this cycle for what reason I don't, I can't understand. And still mad, according to Dodgson, but free from an endless rotation around the table. So I don't know if that all what? sounded like blah 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 to you. It it he there's like whole books written on this on just the teapot, yeah, yeah, just that in that in the theory. The so if you're into that, I don't know, go watch Interstellar or something. It's probably better, but <laughs> I that's the best I have. I think that's great. That's mm-hmm. better than I could have done. And then, and then and then just a fun yeah. fact. Yeah, I was gonna say let's just round out the random inspiration. Let's with round it out with fun a fact. fun fact, and that is that the novels Alice in Wonderland and Alice in Wonderland Through the Looking Glass were banned in China in 1931 on the grounds that it's just crazy that animals should not use human language. They were like, "This is nonsense. We cannot forget forget the drug references or yep. any of that." Animals the, the speaking animals, English, the animals, get it out of here. We're talking, so yep. banned. So we've talked about characters, and a lot of those characters were inspired by people. A lot of these places were also inspired, or a lot of the book was also inspired by places, which we've, we talk about this a lot in our... Places we want to go. Places we want to go. Put it on our travel list. On almost every episode, I feel like we say, oh, add that to the uh-huh. list. So we're going to give you just a couple places you can visit with so us. So place number one is the birthplace of Lewis Carroll, which is the old parsonage 
where Carol was born. So it no longer stands due to a fire. However, the land where the house originally stood is now managed by a national trust. So mm-hmm. you can still visit the area where Lewis Carroll spent a lot and of his time. It's beautiful, just like a bunch of gardens, just whimsical as heck. Yeah. So put that you on. You can't our actually list. go to the the parsonage mm-hmm. where he was born, but the the place now is almost like a I don't know. It's like a trust okay. yeah. in, in a beautiful garden. And there's a bunch of tea rooms and hotels that have bars and stuff that are inspired by the, the whole tea party thing. You have well, to. I mean, I mean, if you it, have a tea room right. in Cheshire, England, you're going to you have to. How do not reference mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland? So a couple that are the most famous, um, Oddfellows Bar and Hotel. Chester Oddfellows Bar and Hotel is this unique setting for kind of this whole wonderland afternoon you can stay at one of the hotel's 18 quirky bedrooms which mm-hmm. book us now mm-hmm. they are expertly decorated they each like have an individual design a theme they yeah each have an individual theme but the tea party they throw but tea the parties tea party. there's a tea there's a the whole dining set including a table and chairs on the ceiling and a lamp well and that makes me because it doesn't she go to the she, she goes to the room that's upside down uh-huh yeah I, love that I love that uh, can we go? We can go summer? right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you also have the Mad Hatter's Tea Room and Bakery in Cheshire. I mean, clearly it's literally named after mm-hmm. the story. Uh, you can stop by for a spot of tea at Cheshire's very own Mad Hatter's Tea Room and Bakery. Or you can sign up for the Red Queen's Afternoon Tea, which is complete with an indulgent glass of champagne. Why not? Mm-hmm. Get tea and champagne. Yeah. All in one. And then last but not least, you have Davenport's Tea Room, uh, which is in Northwich. It's located just two miles from where Lewis Carroll was born. It specializes in more Mad Hatter's afternoon tea. You've got all the things, uh, including characters, characters, murals drawn over the walls, decorations. Yeah, I mean, it gives you just the full Wonderland experience. There's food locally sourced from Cheshire. I mean, so probably those freaking pu- cat those, cheeses, the milk and cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cheese, well. We don't, snacks. Yeah. Speaking of snacks. And tea. We have an get, excellent snack break. I'm so excited. Let, let's just get on right on to okay. it. My stomach's growling. <laughs> Sing us the jingle. Snack break, it's a Mad Hatter's Tea Party edition with some new tea that we got from my friends at The Art of Tea. Thank you. That was Mm -hmm. beautiful. Super excited about today's snack break. Obviously, you can't talk about Alice in Wonderland without talking about tea. Of course. That's why today's snack break is perfect. Today's snack break is perfect. Our new friends over at The Art of Tea have sent us some delicious teas that we've tried. The Art of Tea is a company that features hand-blended and custom-crafted fine organic teas and botanicals. Um, their tea, their teas are hand-selected directly from the grower with each one offering a unique story. We love stories which We here. love stories. The story behind the story. And, and you can go read more about that, uh, about each tea on their website. So we took their tea quiz. They have a tea quiz online that can help you pick a flavor. So we took their tea quiz and they sent us our results. And then they also sent us a bonus tea. So they sent us white coconut creme. Delicious. Which is a white tea blend. It's sweet. It's subtle. It's very light. You should have a little flavor of that I'm coconut. I'm sipping on it right it's now. It's not overwhelming. Then they also sent us the Earl Grey Creme, which is a black tea blend and has more of that citrus 
taste to it. So I think that's kind of more what most people gravitate towards. But then a fun one that they sent us, kind of a bonus tea that they sent us is the rose black tea, which is a bright, bold black tea that's got like that florally Mm -hmm. taste to it. And they were all delicious. They were all so good. We need to, us in the South, we normally drink sweet tea. Yeah. Just all the time. We normally drink, yeah. We needed to expand our horizon, and we did, and I'm just pleasantly It's it's delicious. Give Mm -hmm. us a little cheers. Cheers. If you would like to get your own art of tea, we they were so nice. They sent us a code. What's yes, that code? our code is Scary Tales Twenty, and that will get you twenty percent off of your entire purchase at Art of Tea. And their website is artoftea.com. So again, if you are new to tea or if you're not sure which teas to try because they have so many good flavors, you can take their tea quiz and it will help you pick a flavor that's good for you. You can also join their tea club where you get monthly orders of tea. So if you're an avid tea drinker and you love it, mm-hmm. you can and you're going to be tea. an avid tea you are drinker after this. After yeah, this ab- so. yeah, you absolutely are. So again, that's Scary Tales 20 for 20% off your entire purchase order at Art of Tea, and you can find them at artoftea.com. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that snack break. And we'll be sipping on tea the whole second half of this Sipping episode. on some tea, the Art of Tea. Today's true crime, it's not necessarily a true crime it's one of the, it's more of a spooky, what do you want to call that? I mean, it's sort of, it, yeah, it's not necessarily a It's more of just a spooky crime. spook. Yeah. And it, it was inspired by the very famous phrase the Cheshire Cat says, which is, we're all mad here. We're all mad here. Mm-hmm. And I guess a little bit inspired too by the Mad Hatter. Correct. Yes. And that inspired me to research the history of the first insane asylum. And we we also just found out that Lewis Carroll spent some time in, in, in an asylum. Uh-huh. Not this one. But. Right. And when we say insane asylums, we're referring to what they called them back then. I know that that's right. not proper lingo today. But I actually found the first most well-known... Well, people think it's the first known insane asylum. I'm putting air quotes. And it was in England as well, which mm-hmm. also fits our story. So... Why Why are insane asylums, why is there so much fear around mental health? And I believe that's because we often fear what we can't understand. So it is often said that the human brain is the most complex structure in the known universe. For, I believe that. Forget yeah. the Milky Way and everything else. Yeah. The brain, way more complex. It is made up of around 100 billion nerve cells. And each one of these cells can be connected to thousands of others, making there at least a hundred trillion nerve connections in total, which is more than the numbers of the stars in the Milky Way. So there you go. And the number of possible configurations amongst all of these hundred trillion nerve cells and the strength of those connections is another huge number incomprehensibly larger than the numbers we just mentioned. So just the vastness of the complexity of it is cool. the human brain is... And I do, I mean, yeah, that that's not coincidence. Mm-hmm. It's no secret that uncovering the root of psychiatric illnesses has been very difficult still to this day. We've come a long way 
Oh, um, yeah. As far as mental of, health and the treatment of. Yes, the treatment of and the experiments with. Yeah. Uh-huh. But for the most part, mental illness is still something we don't quite understand. And like I said, we tend to fear things we don't understand. So such mystery around this topic is what I believe causes this fear of the unknown. And sometimes it even points to people saying that supernatural things are what causes mental illness. How many times have you been driving and there's a homeless person that's talking to themselves on the side of the road and someone says, oh, they're possessed, demonic possession? Yeah, I think sometimes people gravitate towards supernatural when they can't explain things. Mm-hmm. Like just historically, that's been an explanation for the unexplainable. Because we have, as humans, we have to have a explanation yeah. or reason behind and things. And depending on your, your religious beliefs, some of those make sense and some of those don't. Mm-hmm. With such negative and terrifying stereotypes, it's no surprise to me that insane asylums, mental health patients, whatever you want to call them, make their way into horror movies. Oh, I mean, yeah. American, American Horror, horror Stories. did a whole season on it. Yeah. Halloween costumes. Yeah. Which I think are getting more taboo. Yeah. Lately. Lot, just Halloween costumes and a lot of them in general uh-huh. are, right. are getting cross off the list. Right. This just f- further supports that negative stereotype. But knowledge is power, Hannah. Amen, teacher friend. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what the teacher friend says. Mm-hmm. So today we're kind of diving into the history of the insane asylum, the institution uh, itself, and kind of, I, what, I, like I said, knowledge is power. So the more you know, the, the less you break down some of those stigmas. Mm-hmm. But not just the... I think in other episodes, we could even cover other mental hospitals. But Mm -hmm. today we're covering London's Bethlehem Hospital, which is known as the oldest mental asylum in history that I could find, especially in Europe. Uh, I I don't know if there's like evidence of Um, cavemen having mental hospitals. but Yeah, and I'm sure that there are, you know, other things that have happened before then this that have just not been documented, mm-hmm. you know, smaller, right. lesser known things. But this was the like first famous right situation. So London's Bethlehem Hospital, this is where the term bedlam comes from, which is a word used to describe pandemonium or chaos. Yeah. Uh-huh. So sometimes people say there was just absolute bedlam in the courtroom. And this also became the nickname of the hospital. So hospital, so people would just call it bedlam. And this comes from the fact that in their dialect, Bethlehem, Sounded. Kind of turns kind of sounded like bedlam, and that's so fascinating. That's and where we get the it's term. It's literally a word. Yeah, it's literally a word in the dictionary. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I think is kind of cool. In the 13th century, Simon Fitzmary, he rose from modest origins to become the sheriff of London. So he was kind of just nobody making Rags his way riches, along. Yeah. Uh huh. He was said to have had great reverence for the Virgin Mary and the Star of Bethlehem, which developed in his time during the Crusades. So the Crusades were going on Mm -hmm. at this time. And when he became a wealthy political figure, he donated a piece of land in the Bios... No, sorry. I read that as Bios Hemisphere, but it's Bishop's Gate. (laughs) (laughs) Word of city. Anyways, he donated this piece of land in London to the Bishop of Bethlehem for the creation of a charitable hospital. Now, hospital, and we'll get into it back then, does not, you know, 
I work at a hospital. It's not what you picture a hospital to be. Yeah. And a lot, historically, a lot of hospitals were more connected to the church, church than to anything right. else. So he was kind of this church slash state because he worked mm-hmm. for the sheriff. He was the right. sheriff. So he, he was a little mm-hmm. bit of the first crossover, mm-hmm. if you will. And he just donated this piece of land. I don't know if he was hands off after them. But so founded in 1247. That was so long ago. I can't even fathom. I can't either. Bethlehem Hospital started off as a religious institution, like Hannah was saying, and it was dedicated to St. Mary of Bethlehem. The original structure centered around a courtyard and only contained 12 rooms. It was also built, fun fact, atop a sewage system that overflowed frequently. So I'm like, was this just like an oversight in planning? Mm-hmm. I, now I see he was like, let me get this piece of land off my hands. I'll, Could be. Mm-hmm. It originally served not as a sanctuary for the mentally ill, but to help raise money for the Crusades via these alms collections. So, that, like I said, the Crusades were going on. Medieval hospitals during this time occupied one of several possible functions, one being as leper communes in which the leprosy lived, uh, two, as almshouses or homes for the healthy or poor, uh, three, as hostels or temporary homes for travelers, or four, as an infirmary where the sick could obtain care. Now, Bethlehem was intended to act in the third capacity, which was this temporary home for travelers, but it was more so for the travelers in this order of Bethlehem, this religious institute where they would have a temporary or permanent home. And I imagine too, like with the Crusades, you have a lot of men or soldiers who were traveling. Mm-hmm. And so I bet a lot of them were considered part of that. Right. And they could just come stay at Bethlehem where they could sit on top of a sewage system. Why not? It's unclear when exactly Bethlehem changed from this religious site to a place for treatment of the mentally ill, but by 1330 it was being referred to as a hospital, and I use that term. I keep I'm, you can't see me, but I keep Every doing time air she quotes. Says hospital, it's going to be in mm-hmm. air quotes. And by 1377, historians believed it began to exclusively treat the quote unquote insane. I don't, this is just where my mind goes, but if, especially if you have a lot of these soldiers who are traveling for the Crusades, I wonder if a lot of them potentially experienced like PTSD mm-hmm. and if that was like, they Could had be. these people coming from war. I don't know. Could be. And sadly, as we'll see, they will not get the help they needed, but I nevertheless. I kind of assumed that was where we were going. Mm-hmm. The first definitive record of the presence of the mentally ill in Bethlehem is from the details of a visitation of the charity commissioners in 1403. This recorded that among other patients, there were six male inmates who were, and this is Latin, we all know I'm good at pronouncing stuff, menti capti, which is a Latin term indicating insanity. So this is the first time it's recorded that people who were insane were at Bethlehem. In 1450, the mayor of London described Bethlehem as, quote, a place where may be found many men that be fallen out of their wit and full honesty honestly they be kept in that place and some be restored unto their wit and health again and some be abiding therein forever for they be fallen so much out of themselves that is incurable unto man so hard to read old english i know i was just thinking the same thing that's very complicated little is known of the institution's inner workings during the medieval period but by the late 1600s control was transferred from the church to the state so i can see where Things, you know, and when when it's a religious institution, they can keep things kind of hush hush. But it, once it transfers over to the government, I imagine there's well, well hopefully there's more regulations. Yeah, and I think there does come a point where the church goes, yeah, this is not our 
this is this, this, is, this is not our field mm-hmm. this is not what what I'm we gonna do pass that to you though. yeah we're gonna pass that off it stayed at its original site for almost 400 years but then it moved to the Moorfields in 1676 which is also in the city of london this new version of the hospital i should have included a picture i'll post a picture on instagram it was one of the most opulent mental hospitals or just opulent buildings, palaces, whatever that the world had ever seen. So much so that people compared it to the Palace of Versailles. Which is not what you like stereotypically think of as a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of those, you just picture these like plain outside white, yeah, con- white, yeah. wa- white concrete walls, not something like mm-hmm. elaborately. Ordered. That sounds more like a church, honestly. Right. And we'll see why they, they made it look this way, but... It overlooked these massive gardens, it had tree-lined promenades, fountains, and it was jokingly referred to as the Palace of Lun- or the Palace for Lunatics. Why was it so opulent? Well, private asylums across the area started popping up that were all really nice. So the palace was made to be strikingly strikingly beautiful to beat out the competition. So it's oh, sad that it was this a was pu- it was a public in- yeah. asylum and they're uh-huh. trying to be yeah. fancier than the private ones. Right. Above the entrance gates sat two statues. They're human statues, but they personify one personified melancholy and the other the was the personification of raving madness. So just imagine being a patient struggling and you're going in and there's these two statues that personify madness and melancholy. Yeah. Why didn't we do happiness or... Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Why not give people something to aspire Mm -hmm. to? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of sad. So we have this from the outside, fancy, opulent. The interior, on the other hand, and the reality of the hospital in general was something completely different because the ornate facade was so heavy. It had all these heavy gold medals on it. It immediately cracked and cracked the foundation. And whenever it rained, the walls ran with water. The hospital was also built on rubble. It didn't even have a proper foundation. So it was just this thing they threw together and made look really nice on the outside. But as soon as you stepped inside, it's got like cracked walls and running water. The building itself could be a metaphor for those with mental illnesses. Unintentionally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Seemingly beautiful, aka okay on the outside, but falling apart on the inside. Which is just, just it is like beautifully yeah. tragic yeah. thing. Bethlehem, no surprise, was not a sanitary place to live. There were rats and insects that chronically infested the hospital. And there was only a single cistern on the grounds from which water was to be carried to the hospital via bucket. And it constituted the only water source in Bethlehem before 1656. So, like I said, I work in a hospital. We use water all the time to clean patients. You have to have water, like, ready. And just imagine having to walk all the way outside and get a bucket and get your water and come back in. I imagine half the time the tech or what we would, mental health techs in these days but them seeing somebody dirty and be like i'm not doing that today i don't have time especially if it's cold it's london it rains all the time it's cold patients slept on straw bedding rather than linen and not and not just to save money but because urine could drain through straw more efficiently than it could linen gross where is that urine going just no one ever knows straight on the floor you could probably clean it up with some water that you have to walk outside to get from the cistern gosh that's over the hill and through the valley or whatnot no thank you now, the patients there had mental illnesses, so they some of them were known to throw their waste. 
So just imagine everything else I just told you, but then there's just waste all over the wall, human feces, urine, all that. Just an overall sanitary nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. Not a place where people go to get better. Right. Well, yeah, those conditions alone, even if I go in there seemingly well, those conditions are going to make me... Mm-hmm. Like those, those conditions are going to have a psychological effect on me, re- right. regardless of whether or not I already had a psychological experience mm-hmm. going on. Bethlehem was known for its noise and disorder. There was a lady named Lady Eleanor Davies, who was a famous poet and quote unquote prophet who spent time there. I, I didn't say if she spent the time there because people thought she was crazy because she thought she was a prophet, but she spent time there in the 1630s and she described it as quote, hell, such were the blasphemies and noisome scents. And then another person wrote about the crying, screechings, roarings, brawlings, shaking of chains, swearings, frettings, and chafings that filled Bethlehem Hospital. I don't know what I don't want to know what chafing sounds like. Uh, yeah, same. but by the 17th century, the asylum was well known enough to appear. And you, teacher lady, what is that word? Jacobian. Jacobian dramas and ballads. So it's like a type of play. Right. It was featured in Hamlet and Macbeth, mm-hmm. and it was used as a way to explore the popular question of who is mad, who is sane, and who had the power to decide. And I, I've taught both Hamlet and Macbeth, and mm-hmm. I love that connection. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. There you go. Thank Add you. it. Say, Teacher Lacey um, taught me this. Thank you. And, Thank you yeah, so much. Insert that into your lessons. In the beginning, Bethlehem cared for its patience. A lot of air quotes going on over here. <laughs> With just basic, their care was food, water, shelter, and sometimes spiritual guidance. Also in quote, air quotes. Mm-hmm. From the 1630s onward, Bethlehem staffed physicians, surgeons, and apothecary, apothecaries, which I guess was like a pharmacist, mm-hmm. who began prescribing treatment. More air quotes. <laughs> to fix out-of-balance humors, because back then, out-of-balance humors is what people believed caused mental illness so if you don't know what that is back then it was believed that if your health was affect that your health was affected by the balance of the four humors or bodily fluids which were blood yellow bile black bile and phlegm and this theory was known as the humoral theory uh, or humorism so i actually when when we study like medieval literature as like a hook for my students we take i have them take like a personality quiz Mm -hmm. and it tells them at the end whether they're like phlegmatic uh sanguine it uses all the like Uh medical terms that they would have used back then because i think that's just medically they knew something was wrong on the inside but Mm -hmm. they couldn't see it and so they just they knew something inside of you was wrong and they knew that like you had blood and bile and phlegm inside of you so they just thought it just makes sense that all those are yeah those things yes you've got all these things inside of you and they're all imbalanced and that has to do with your personality somehow there you go so certain let's get into some of the treatments because Air they had they had to balance the these humors right so first there was rotational therapy which was fun fact developed by Erasmus is that how you say that sure <laughs> okay Erasmus Darwin who is the grandfather of Charles Darwin the circle well, of life. I was going to say not surprising that that the the whole family is into the scientific things rotational therapy they would somehow suspend a chair from a beam by ropes 
by, I guess, attaching it. I don't know. They suspended a chair from the ceiling with the patient in it. And then, you know how when you were little, you would sit in a swing and you would twist it up as far as it would go and then you would let go and spin Mm -hmm. them? Okay, well, this is what they were doing with mentally ill patients. And the reason they did this is because they wanted the patient to vomit, which they did. It caused vomiting because, again, they're trying to balance out these bodily fluids. And they're trying to get rid of the stuff that... Mm-hmm. That, that's bad for you. Mm-hmm. Darwin himself in 1796 recommended that this practice of rotational therapy be performed for an hour or two, three or four times a day for a month. Absolutely not. You can just go ahead and kill me. That sounds horrible. I can remember like, like spinning up that tire mm-hmm. on the swing. I mean, like fun maybe for like five, five seconds. seconds but and then, that long? Yeah. Goodness. Um, Next, we have cold water therapy. So cold bathing was introduced at Bethlehem in the 1680s and became a way of, quote unquote, shocking inmates out of their mental illness. the original shock therapy. Mm -hmm. So I've heard even in today's time, people that have panic attacks, one of the advice uh, or treatments given is you can go get a piece of an ice cube or a lemon or whatever and hold that ice cube and it like makes your brain think about Mm -hmm. the fact that your hand's freezing or a tart lemon. So I can see where they're going with this, but these patients could be submerged in cold water for extremely long periods of time. They could be wrapped in towels that had been soaked in ice or sprayed with cold water. It wasn't. Well, that seems to, that's just going to give you hypothermia. Right. And it probably did. But now we're treating hypothermia instead of mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm. This is my this is my favorite. I mean, not my favorite in terms of <laughs> Hannah loves bleeding no, and purging. No, but this is one that I've that I like. We've studied studied. Literature. So bleeding and purging in the 18th century, as we just discussed, there was little understanding as to the cause of mental illness. They thought it was these bodily fluids. So, in order to get out some of this fluid, I suppose they would prescribe weeks of enforced bleeding, vomiting, and diarrhea in order to purge the body of its quote-unquote, melancholic humors, or they would apply these substances to the patient's skin to make it burn and blister, and then I guess the blisters would pop and then release some of these humors. I I think a lot of it depended on whatever humor they thought you had too much inside of you, that if they thought, like, if you were super, like, angry and aggressive, they thought it was your blood, and so they would stick leeches on you to get Mm -hmm. the blood out. If they thought it was, like, that bile, they would try to make you throw up. Like, so it just, it depended on what whatever outward personality you were showing they were like that's the that's the the humor we'll go for Mm. treatment was so severe that the facility refused to admit patients deemed too meek to withstand it so you're an elderly person suffering from mental illness you can't they're not gonna let you which is okay that's nice in a way like but then don't kill people either well that also showed that they knew the severity of their treatments Uh uh-huh Um, And indeed, many people did not survive because modern investigations have uncovered mass graves on the property, which I'm not not surprised surprised. at all about that. Then then comes what Bethlehem was, or Bedlam, was most known for, the admittance of public visitors as a means of raising hospital income. So... It basically became a zoo. It became a zoo, yes. They would um, charge money, and then they would allow you to come in. And there are 17th century accounts where people describe swarms of people who would come, especially on public holidays. This uh, It's essentially like going to a zoo or Disney It really World. is. Yeah. You, you're off for the holidays. Like, mm-hmm. let's go tour the, the zoo and the insane asylum. 
And like I said, it became one of Bedlam's most notorious characteristics. And it was also kind of a lesson on morality. Like, don't, because people thought sin led to, uh, or immorality led to madness. So it was like, don't be immoral or you're going to end up here. Which, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. That's not how morality or ethics works at all. Nope, sure doesn't. Visitors were encouraged to taunt and jeer at the patient's. I, I'm just imagining that like get a pamphlet when they walk in and there's like, here's some things you can here's say. Here's some things you can say. You really get do. a show. Yeah. Also at that time, and the, and the people coming in, the visitors were told this that because of their mental illness, these patients didn't have feelings, or it wouldn't affect them long term. Which, which makes it okay, doesn't it? Again, it just blows my mind. This is how we used to think people operated. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we've come a long way. Still have a long way to go. But after reading this, I'm like, oh, we're doing, we have we're come, doing pretty yeah, good. We have come a long way. Unrestricted public access continued on until 1770, after which time visitors required a ticket signed by the governor of the hospital. So it wasn't a free a flow, free affair. for all. Yeah. yeah, you had to kind of know one of the requirements. Yeah, you had to be in with the the people running the place. And this might sound like a good thing, but with the lack of hundreds of people coming in, it let the abuse become, it, the abuse increased and became well, more yeah. flag- flagrant. Because they don't have people coming in. I mean, I, I'm again comparing it to the zoo. I imagine because you have people coming into the zoo, you have to keep it clean. clean. You're keeping yep. animals fed. That this is what kind of happened here as well. Mm-hmm. When a patient died at Bedlam, if their family didn't claim them, which frequently they did not, many people were just written off or shunned from their families, they would be experimented on by Brian Crowther, who was hired in the late 1790s as the chief surgeon. He would just do Frankenstein-type stuff. And this is morbid of me to even say, but at least this was noted to have, these experiments were noted to be happening after they died rather than... yeah. For While real. they were alive. I mean, that's the kno- morbid thing. And who morbid knows what they me. did. I know. What they, when they were alive. But uh, another guy that was in leadership there, his name, an aptly named uh, Haliah Crook, or Helkiah Crook, he was dismissed in 1632 on the grounds of embezzling charitable goods. So they, the hospital would get donations, and he would either keep them for himself or he would sell them to the patients. And if you didn't have money to buy them, you would either go hungry or dirty or what have you. And I imagine most of these people didn't have money. Oh, no. Bethlehem's governors used all of their considerable influence and platform to keep the hospital exempted from any outside scrutiny. And this succeeded for several years. But in 1842, there was a man... 1814. What did I say? 1842. Numbers. Where did I, wh- <sighs> Numbers. Okay. And this succeeded for several years until 1814, when this guy who kind of changed the game, his name was Edward Wakefield. He was a philanthropist and an advocate for lunacy reform. He and a small group of his colleagues gained admission to Bethlehem. After months of hard work, they were somehow finally convinced the governor to allow them in. And what they found would, like I said, change the game for a while. I'm sure this guy did not like what he found. Inside the building, it was stark, dirty, cold, no hot water. I don't know if they got another cistern on the ground at this time, but in the parts that were habitable, his colleagues found small, tiny cells populated by several people at once 
most of which were chained to the walls or their bed. Many of them were stark naked, no clothes on, and just had a single blanket to protect them from the cold and the rats. And and that just sounds more like a prison than Mm -hmm. a hospital. Right. He found that inmates were not classified in any logical manner, and the highly disturbed inmates could be paired with, you know, people that were just in there for depression. They were mixed indiscriminately. Not not something, well, hopefully not something you would find today. Wakefield recounted an incident in which, quote, a man arose naked from his bed and had deliberately and quietly walked a few paces from his cell door along the gallery. He was instantly seized by the keepers, thrown into his bed, and leg-locked without inquiry or observation. The sight... Nightmarish. Yep. The sight that most shocked the committee, if you thought that was nightmarish, <laughs> great. there was a famous case here of a man named James Norris, who was an American Marine. I couldn't find why he was locked up over there, but he was. And by all accounts, they described him as a clear and lucid man, did not, and I, you know, you can't always tell when someone has a mental illness, but he seemed clear. And he had been chained with, so there was a metal bar that ran behind the bed and then he had a chain around his neck that connected to the bar, then around his waist, then around his limbs. So he was chained to this bed for what all accounts I said, I saw said 10 years. Oh, mm-hmm. so his muscles had completely atrophied. And one thing I read said that his intestines burst at one point. Oh my word. I'm... I don't know how you chain someone to a bed for 10 years. No, I wonder if you know, just him being a soldier or Marine, if they just assumed he was somebody super aggressive, aggressive and they just yeah. went ahead and like, or he could have had PTSD. Like yeah. you said, and he, they probably just locked him up and mm-hmm. said, we'll just get ahead of the problem. That's creating a bigger problem. I can't even imagine like some people can lay in a bed for like a day and start to get a pressure ulcer on their sacrum. I can't imagine laying for 10 years. It, there's probably just a hole rotting through his bottom. Oh yeah. Horrible. There was another famous inmate after he got out. He described the case of a man named Popplestone, whose, quote, leg was rotted off as he was chained up for such a lengthy period that the metal cut into his flesh. So you just get gangrene and your leg falls off. Ew. So there's also obviously women patients and sexual assault by male keepers was a problem faced by many of the women there. John... Haslam, author of 1850, report from the Committee of, on Madhouses, alleged that, quote, some years ago, a female patient had been impregnated twice during the time she was in the hospital. At one time, she miscarried. Don't know where the other baby went, but moral of the story is women were being impregnated by the yeah. people that were supposed to be taking care of them. That's horrible. Wakefield described his visit to the women's section as follows, quote, Each inmate was chained by one arm or leg on the wall. The nakedness of each patient was covered by a blanket gown only. One female thus chained was an object remarkably striking. She mentioned her maiden and married names and stated that she had been a teacher of languages. The committee can hardly imagine a human being in more degraded and brutalizing situation than that in which I found the female who held a coherent conversation with us and was of course, fully sensible of the mental and bodily condition of those wretched beings also incarcerated there. And I think too, like just historically women were seen more to have like hysteria. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's just the stereotype of women today are more emotional than men. Yeah. Historically they were seen as more hysterical than men. So if you're PMSing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Bedlam. So this lady could have just had like 
a horrible week on her period and they send her to the hospital mm-hmm. and she's chained up to a wall now. Yeah. And also it, it seems even worse. I don't know if you can say this for the people that are sane because they know what's going on and they're seeing what's going on. Yeah. I mean, the fact that this guy noted that she like could mention like her name and her maiden name and where she was from mm-hmm. and like all the stuff she used to teach honestly kind of makes it seem like you had one of those potentially moments mm-hmm. of mental lapse for whatever reason, which don't we all, mm-hmm. and then you end up here and then and then you're back to being lucid. Yeah. Who knows when you're ever going to get out? Who yeah. knows when they discharge people? Maybe they don't. Following Wakefield's revelations, Thomas, Mon- Thomas Monroe Bedlam's principal physician resigned and he was being accused of wanting inhumanity towards never his heard, patients. Never heard of that as an accusation, but that seems fitting. Yeah, fits. Wakefield's testimony, combined with reports about patient maltreatment and other at other asylums as well, helped prompt a campaign for the national lunacy reform. And it resulted in the establishment of House of Commons Select Committee on Madhouses in 1815. And this committee examined the conditions under which the insane were confined in county asylums, private madhouses, and charitable asylums, and in the lunatic wards of the poor law workhouses. So it sounds like, you know, at least good political reform yeah. came out of, mm-hmm. again, and many the more, good coming out of the Yeah, bad. it seemed like year by year, every couple of years more um, laws and things like that were passed. Starting shortly after a damning report from the 1815 Select Committee, Bethlehem hired an additional physician to share in the medical duties. Patient care transformed as the administration emphasized the therapeutic benefits of physical exertion. Uh, not even in the form of work, but in sport, rec- recreation, and music as well. No, I feel like the physical exertion here that they're doing is just literally letting people out of their beds and rooms. Uh-huh. Like, what not physical work, but mm-hmm. like, let's just actually let them right. move. Mm-hmm. In 1815, Bethlehem was moved from its collapsing Moorfield site. Like we said in the beginning, it was collapsing as soon as they built it, had built it. But it moved to St. George's Fields, which is south of the Thames River. And lessons have been learned about the combination of a new building with new staff members, and it brought about reforms of the sort that Wakefield had been calling for. So they have this new building, new staff members. We're kind of getting a fresh start. Yeah, because I imagine even if you get a new new staff in that old building, that old building was part of the problem with mm-hmm. the, the cracks and the. They have to have a safe environment. The, yeah. To heal. An 1818 report f- found patients clean and amply supplied with wholesome provisions and well-clothed with none under restraint. And a financial audit suggested that the hospital was solvent and generally well-managed. Good. I mean, th- mm-hmm. this opened in the We're 1200s, in good... and it's in the 1818. It's yeah, about time it they just get a good took report. us a little bit, just a little bit of time. Like 400 years. <laughs> Patient care and finances had improved, but individual problems still arose such as the discovery in 1830 of the apothecary named Edward Wright, who in the female galleries, he was drunk without his clothing and disheveled. That's how he was found. And when asked about Wright's duties, a colleague replied, quote, smoking and opening and taking off the heads of the dead patients occasionally. So this pharmacist, for whatever reason, was just drunk, naked, and harassing people, and then also... uh, cutting off the heads of dead patients. Okay. He had a Frankenstein-like fascination with the dead and created his own laboratory in the hospital's basement. 
and but his secret got out and he was immediately dismissed so we you see these like we take steps towards improvement and then a couple yeah. bad apples ruin it for the whole bunch. The situation at Bedlam finally began to change. I feel like I've said that multiple times since well, we. I mean, but it is like, like you said, you know, one step forward, two steps mm-hmm. back. That they make progress, and then there's a bad employee, and then they make progress, and then there's right, you know, somebody being financially. And I think that'll always sketchy. be the case. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's just I feel like humanity. As long as things are moving forward, it's okay if like there are some steps back. Mm-hmm. In 1852, William Hood was hired as the first ever resident physician, and he believed that tranquility was the best way to cure mental illness. What a thought. Not wrath and cold and being tied to a bed. Not not being forced to vomit. Uh Uh, Yeah. Hood didn't believe in chaining up the patients, and instead he allowed the patients access to magazines, games, and crafts. So kind of like a recreational therapist, sounds like. In 1863, the Broadmoor Hospital for the Criminally Insane opened, and this is where they sent Bedlam's most violent and aggressive patients. So, so they're they're separating them. You mm-hmm. know, before they were just throwing people in rooms haphazardly, like without coordinating things. But now they're actually, mm-hmm. which you guys have like different floors, right? Right. Yeah. We um yeah. I th- well, we're not like a mental hospital, but if there are mental hospitals that, you know, they have adolescents, geriatrics, mm-hmm. things like they that. They separate every, yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1930, Bethlehem was relocated to Beckenham in Kent, where it continues as a psychiatric hospital to this day. It is still a hospital. Did you know that? I did not. It currently goes by the name Bethlehem Royal Hospital and includes specialized services such as an adolescent unit, occupational therapy. Here you are. That's what I do. Crisis recovery and a psychosis unit. So it sounds like they've divided up into different sections like we were talking about. Sadly, like we were talking about, two steps forward, two steps, one step forward, two steps back. In 2014, there was the death of a 15-year-old patient named Christopher Brennan. He died six weeks after being admitted to the hospital. He had a history of self-harming, and his family was unable to care for him at home safely. So, you know, they sought help, which they should have done, and he should have gotten the help he needed. But he was found on August 31st, 2014, was found unconscious in a communal toilet and later died after suffering cardiac arrest. The coroner found that there was no formal risk assessment carried out and there was no plan of care in place. He somehow got access to numerous sharp items in the hospital, which he used to hurt himself. And this is a common problem in hospitals, especially psychiatric hospitals, where the staff becomes desensitized because they look at that all day. They see it all the time. Or they're understaffed and they get burnout. And so they're just not doing their job. Or they just physically can't. They're mm -hmm. being asked to do things that they just physically can't do. Right. A statement released by Christopher's family read, Losing our beloved son and brother when he was just 15 years old was painful, but losing him as a result of the hospital's failure to protect his life is unbearable. Chris will never be forgotten, and no other child should be allowed to die in this way. And I agree. But we always like to end, not on a positive note, but on a helpful note. Yeah. We were also going to share some like personal things mm-hmm. that could help people that like sometimes the law feels so separated from our daily day, like mm-hmm. daily life that this is what you can do. If you are suffering, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and that is 1-800-273-TALK or you can visit www.nami.org, which is the National Alliance of Mental Health and they have a lot of resources there. So. Which hopefully just, you know, again, could help someone, you know, 
before they get to the stages of potentially having to mm-hmm. seek at outward medical help, that this is something that's more approachable, mm-hmm. if you will. And if you're struggling, it's, I think a lot of times because of the stigma mm-hmm. around mental illness, people are scared to reach out and what that will look like, but it, you just can't, you gotta, you gotta reach out. And the, the hotline here that we listed they're they're there. They want to talk to you. They want you to call them if you're um, feeling a certain way. So, um, and I hope you're, I hope you're not. And I hope maybe if you are and you're listening to this podcast, it would be, it was a bright spot in your day. We hope so. Mm-hmm. And and just to, you know, tying this back to Alice in Wonderland and, and the Mad Hatter and things, there's, there's always weird things that happen in our lives that inspire other things to happen, what? whether you, it inspires a story. Mm-hmm. For you to what write. Hannah's saying is if you're going through something, put pen to paper. Yeah. You know? There, yeah. Call call somebody if you need to talk to somebody. Visit this website. You can also, I, I like to tell people a lot of times that writing can often be therapeutic. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Get a journal. Maybe you could grab a journal and become the next Lewis Carroll. Mm-hmm. Some people said he was crazy. Some people think he was I'll, a genius. Some people think he was a creepy I, photographer. I feel like he could have been a little bit of both. Uh, but I do hope you enjoy this. these past two episodes and now alice in wonderland you could watch it with new eyes and can also become one of your favorites and who knows down the road we'll, we'll probably have more episodes we we had more alice that we wanted the looking glass we had more that we wanted to talk about but or you know we we, we these, episode, short time. these episodes are super long so who knows maybe one day there will be an alice in wonderland part three uh-huh and we have talked about doing tiny tales mini episodes so be on the lookout for that yeah be on the lookout for some tiny tales until Um, then you can follow us at scary on uh, instagram at scary tales podcast Uh you can also just a reminder of our snack break uh sip on some tea next time you're listening to our episodes Mm -hmm. next time you listen to the podcast um and you can go get it over at artoftea.com and use code scary tales 20 to get 20 percent off your order so you can sip some tea Mm -hmm. listen to scary tales and tune in next, next time. time. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye-bye.